Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Um, and uh, the Eagles didn't play well, but we won. And there's a part of my Christian faith that says, that's God's grace. Because God wanted to give me a present, make me happy for a Sunday morning and say, is that grace? Why do we sometimes call that kind of stuff grace? Is it really grace? When we get a parking lot, you, know, you go to shops on a Saturday, which I don't know why you would go to shops on a Saturday. You go to the shops and you pray and then a car leaves exactly when you pull in and you're, oh, God has graced me. Is that really grace? Is that really what grace is? You know, when you look into the meaning of the word grace, the simplest way to call it is that it is the unmerited favor of God. Unmerited. I grew up in Singapore. The word merit was a very important word for us because you earn your way into recognition. You earn your way into rewards. You earn your way into accolades. You earn your way into being a Singaporean, really. Any, any Singaporeans here say amen? Because you know what I mean. You know, if you get an A grade in school, you get money. If you get a C or below, you get a stick whacked across your butt for the next 10 weeks until your grades get better. You know, that's the kind of, well, that wasn't my kind of my life. I was fine, mainly because I was a good student, except for Chinese. I am Chinese and I suck at Chinese. It is not in my bones. That's why I'm here this morning. But what is grace and, and uh, is a merited favor of God? Unmerited, is unearned. And so I want you to take that definition and I want you to really think deeply about it as I read this passage this morning. It's from Luke chapter 15. Many of you know it because it is, we're going to be reading the parable of the lost son. Now the parable of the lost son was a parable, a story that Jesus told with deep meaning. And he told it uh, because uh, he was having a meal with some tax collectors. Tax collectors, no one liked them because they took people's money. They, they, they were corrupt, they were selfish, they were seen as a scum of society, and yet Jesus had a meal with them. And when a few Pharisees and teachers of the law, they saw what Jesus was doing, they were like, what are you doing? Why would you do that? Why would you associate with such people? And from there, Jesus told a number of stories. The first one was the parable of the lost sheep. Uh, where uh, a sheep runs away and the shepherd goes after that lost sheep. The second one is a parable of a lost coin where uh, a lady lost a coin and when turned the house upside down just to find that coin. And then we come to the passage that we are reading this morning, parable of the lost son. I am actually going to read the whole thing because I think it's important for you to get the context. So I'm going to put on my radio voice. I was practicing it this morning. Yeah, it drops a few notes, so if it's a bit low, that's because it's my radio voice. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, no, I'm not going to do that. That's hurting me. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. 
When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best rope and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you killed a fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this, father, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Famous passage. Where do you think the picture of grace comes in? When you think about this parable and you think that it's a parable about God's grace, I'm telling you it's about God's grace. That's a little hint. What picture comes to mind? What part of the story sounds like grace to you? I think most of us would assume and immediately gravitate to the most touching scene, which is the father running to the son. It is a scene that uh, if you've been to church for any length of time, you would have heard us talk about God's grace as the father who accepts you home. No matter what you have done, no matter what past you may bring with you, no matter what your lifestyle has been, he still accepts you. And that is 100% a picture of God's grace. But as I was studying this passage, I think that we are not getting the full picture of God's grace because I think that this whole story is about God's grace. At the start, the youngest son comes to the dad. The dad represents God. So he comes to his father. He says, give me my share of the inheritance. And we all know that when you ask someone for an inheritance now, you're basically saying to them, I wish you were dead. And we've covered this before in our church as well. We talked about this passage. This young man goes to his dad and says, I wish you were dead. I wish I didn't carry your name anymore. I wish I didn't have anything to do with you. I just want what you were always going to give to me at some point when you die. And so I can start living. He tells this to his dad. Now, I don't know about you, but my impression that if my son comes to me, Andre, if little Sam comes to you and says, I'm done, give me my inheritance. And as your only son, that means everything that you own and give it to me now. I would rather you be dead than to live under your house. Would your first reaction be, oh, all the mums are like, oh, all the dads are like, where is my, my stick? Where's my stick? <laughs> How many parents would go, would even respond with any sort of kindness? How many parents would even think 
to continue the conversation with that child. I know for me, I'm like, I'm done with you. You want to be done? Be done. You don't even get an inheritance. You've written yourself out of my will. I'm still alive, and so I get to choose. You get nothing. So if we think that grace is the unmerited favor of God, something that is unearned, something that is undeserved, maybe the dad's actions here is actually a grace. Have you ever thought about it in that way? That even in the midst of our choosing to be rebellious and independent of God, there's still grace. Did you know that? God's grace isn't dependent on your behavior. It is the opposite of your behavior most of the time. It is unmerited, it is undeserved. So dad being willing to give son his inheritance, even though he knows that this son was choosing to be independent of him. Isn't that grace? Do you know that God graces you even if your heart is distant from him? Do you know that God still has given you so much and continues to see you as son and continues to communicate with you and keep this relationship even when you choose to be independent? Some of you are rocked by that kind of grace because you've been taught that God only accepts you if you do good. Even if you don't think about it that way, you believe it somewhere deep inside of your heart. Undeserved, unmerited favor was what this dad was showing to this son. I believe that a big part of grace is that grace is given to you and you get to choose what to do with it. Grace isn't something that manipulates you and tells you, and when you accept God's grace, it doesn't mean that you'll no longer become your person anymore. That's not how grace works. Grace doesn't overwhelm you and stop you from having a will. This son was given, in fact, I believe that there's actually a bit of a parenting thought here. That at some stage, parents, your child is going to want his or her independence. And if you choose to act in a way that impedes their independence, you might have them in the house, but you won't have their heart. And that is what happens a lot of times as youth pastors. We see these young people struggling, and it's not because their parents don't love them, but it's because the parents don't give them independence or show them how to live independently. What dad was doing in this story was that he might have raised him in a great way and all of that kind of stuff, but still there was this nagging sense of wanting independence. And what does dad do? says, okay, you go test it out for yourself. In fact, to the point of dividing up his estate and giving it to the son. The, the story continues and says, uh, not long after that, some other translation says a few days later, the son gathers all he has. And this is where things get really interesting because I didn't see this before. But in, the, in those days, when dad was giving this son inheritance, he didn't give him a check. He didn't do an electronic transfer of a couple of mil. He didn't do that. He gave him livestock and maybe a title deed to a third of the property. Because he was a younger son, he would have been entitled um, to a portion, whereas the, his older brother would have gotten a double portion, so he would have gotten a third of the estate. Right? So the estate, the actual property, the actual livestock on that property, maybe possibly family heirlooms, things that have been passed down from generation to generation, that's what dad would have entrusted into this young son's hands. This son wanted to go far away. Do you think he packed his bed, his cupboard, plus 20 cows 
in his backpack and traveled to a faraway land. He gathered all that he had, which tells me what he did was he fire soul his inheritance. If you know anything about needing to leave a country in a short amount of time, which I don't, but I've seen other people do it. You see it on Facebook in the marketplace. I'm leaving to go over east. I need to liquidate all of my belongings so that I can bring it in a portable form, money, and leave, right? And so when they need to leave in a few days' time, what was the original value of what they're trying to sell? They have to knock it off. So maybe half, maybe even a third. I've seen people go, I'm just going. I'm basically giving this stuff away for you. That's what this son was doing. He wanted to go, and so he took the grace that his father had given to him, and he sold it for a fraction of what it was worth. And then he takes that fraction of grace, that shadow of the grace that had been given to him, and he detaches himself from his father's household. That is another really important picture that you need to understand about grace. When God has given His grace to you, the value of the grace depends very much on how you see it and how you use it. God can be gracing you to be the most amazing, with the most amazing life, but you can choose to use that grace to fund your rebelliousness, but you always only get a portion of the true grace. Some of you are in a place right now where there is enough for you to be comfortable because you still have some of your shadow grace left. But you don't understand that that grace is going to run out because God has entrusted you with that grace. You get to choose what you do with the grace that has been given to you. Dad didn't stop son from selling it. This is a really important point. Some of you are living in shadow grace instead of full grace. Some of you are looking at running, and because of that, you've only taken and received a portion rather than the fullness. God doesn't stop you from doing that. Why? Because he understands that you have a will. Grace doesn't make you a robot. Grace is just God's favor on your life. And so son takes this portion, runs to a faraway land, and he begins to buy friends, buy a lifestyle that he thought would satisfy, squanders it in wild living. He thought that that was what he wanted to do. Isn't it interesting that it was the grace that he received that funded his rebelliousness? Do you know that just because you have certain blessings doesn't mean that you're actually living in the right way? Did you know that? That just because you are blessed, if you will, if you want to use that word, it doesn't mean that you are in a great place. At some point, that will run out. I've seen it time and time and again. Oh, God's blessed me. I must be doing okay. Da, 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 da. And next moment, it's like, why am I so empty on the inside? Why, why has everything been taken away? Why is God so terrible? Why would he do this to me? It's like, well, you chose that life. 
And another thing is that it says that the son squandered all he had and he had nothing left. Why did he have nothing left? Why didn't the grace continue? It's because he had already taken it and removed himself from God's house. When we remove grace from the source, that's all you're going to get. When we remove ourselves from a place of receiving more grace, it's not going to continue and we can run out of grace in that place. I believe that the grace that God has already given to us, even with our rebellious intentions, that is an amazing part of His character and His love for us. But if we choose to separate ourselves from God, that grace is not going to continue. And even crazily in this passage, you might identify with it, but once He had used up all the grace, on top of that, a famine hits the land. Isn't it crazy that whenever we are are detached from God and we are in a place of independence and suddenly we run out of that grace, not only do we run out of grace, but everything around us seems to be failing? Isn't it crazy that we are in this place and is actually dying underneath our feet and it's beyond our control and we don't know what to do about it but we don't even have anything that we have built for ourselves because it is actually out of our control do you know that god doesn't grace a place where you are in control you know that god doesn't pour out more favor when you are trying to be the king of your own life and that's what the son was trying to do i've built my empire i've built my lifestyle i've built my identity i've got all of this money i've got all of these friends i can do whatever i want whenever i want suddenly it's all gone and he's like whoa what just happened and so this son takes himself to a citizen of the land His friends have deserted him. He's got nothing left. He takes himself to a citizen of the land and he begs to be taken in. And and, and some of the translations says that it could have been a, or a commentary say it could be a pig farmer. I think it was just a person that lived in that place. And this son was a Jewish person. Now, I don't mean this to be stereotyping or even racist in any way, shape or form, but this boy probably looked Jewish, sounded Jewish, acted Jewish because he was Jewish. You know, when you look at me and you call me Chinese, it's not racist. I know I'm Chinese. I sound white, but I'm Chinese. I failed Chinese, but I'm still Chinese. And I have to accept that. So by me calling this man Jewish, I'm not trying to be racist. I'm just saying that he still took his DNA wherever he went. And when he comes to a citizen of this land and he says, I'm starving, I've got nothing, can you just do something for me? When it says that this citizen sent him to the pigs, this person knew what he was doing. He wasn't being gracious. He was actually being really mean. He was humiliating this young son. I know you don't touch pigs. I know your culture hates pigs. You are now in need, in desperate need, so I'm going to send you to the pigs. I believe that this is a picture of the world that we live in. When we are apart from God's house and we are looking for grace in the wrong places, we sometimes feel like we are being given grace, but that grace is always hiding humiliation, is always hiding degradation. 
is always hiding oppression, is always hiding something on the flip side. At least I get to feed the pigs. At least I got a place that I can be. When all of that is all smoke and shadows because there's actually nothing there. Pastor Beck spoke about this last year where she brought up that when he said he wanted to fill himself with the pods. Those pods weren't nourishing pods. They were meant to make pigs fat. That's all it was. It wasn't meant to make pigs healthy. It was meant to make them blow up. It was just air. And so even though he was there and he had this pig food in front of him, he knew that this was all just air. He was being degraded. Some of you are wondering where God's grace is gone because you are looking for grace in the wrong places. You think that your job is going to give you your sense of worth, your sense of how you're going to survive tomorrow. You think that relationship is going to give you a sense of who you are and your identity, but it's just blowing you up so that he'd cull you at some stage. I'm not saying that people are evil, but people are evil. I'm not saying that people are selfish, but people are selfish. Come on, I'm not telling you anything new. I'm not telling you something that you should be writing. Oh, wow, Nate said that this morning. No, no, you just know. Can anyone in this world really be trusted with our identity? But yet this son was trying to do that. And in that moment, it says that he came to his senses. And he said, my father's servants have got plenty of food, but yet here I am starving. So I'm going to go back. You know, I used to read this passage and I used to be like, yeah, you know, cool. This son is repentant. This son wants to go home. This son understands what he's done wrong until I did some research. You see, this, this son practiced a speech that said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. To a Jewish audience, that phrase actually came from somewhere else. Do you know where it came from? It came from the place where Pharaoh said those exact same words to Moses. Moses, I have sinned against God and against you. Why did Pharaoh say that? Because there were frogs. There were pests. There was darkness. The river had been turned into blood. The ten plagues. Egypt. And every time Pharaoh said, I have sinned against heaven and against you, was he truly repentant? He actually turned around and went, <laughs> now that you've done what I've got, see you later. So there's the commentators that actually talked about this passage because Jesus was saying it to a predominantly Jewish audience. In fact, he was saying this to teachers of the law, people who would be reading the, the Torah to the people. They heard the story every single flipping year. When they celebrated the Passover, they remembered the plagues, they remembered the story. And in the story are the words, I have sinned against God and I have sinned against you. And it always came with the knowledge of this guy's faking. So when this son was actually saying, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you, maybe Jesus, maybe, maybe Jesus was pointing to the fact that this son wasn't repentant, he was just hungry. This son wasn't actually in a place of like, God, I, I really need to come back to you. No, no, it's like I'm starving and there's nothing here. And I know that over there there's something. I need that something and so I'm going to go back home. I don't know how dad's going to receive me. I don't know how this is all going to work out. I'm just going to go home anyway. This is the depth of grace that you need to understand. Because so many of us believe that God's grace only comes to us when we are truly 100% committed to Him. 
That is not true grace. Because that is still something you're trying to earn. That is still something that you believe you are somewhat deserving of because you've done what God has told you to do. Do you know that grace is so amazing and so unmerited that even when you are faking it and saying these things about, I'm truly repentant, but deep inside you're just hungry. You're just hungry. You're just starving. You've got some needs that haven't been met because you've been in a faraway land. You've been away from grace. You've been away from everything that is sustaining you. You're in this place of desperation and God still accepts that. Come on, we need to be excited about the fact that even though I try to be repentant, but there's still areas in my life that I'm holding back from God, God still accepts me. It is not dependent on how surrendered I am. It is dependent on how good and gracious God is. And so when this son comes to the edge of the father's property, father starts pelting it, running to him. Jewish custom doesn't allow old men to run. I'm being serious. I studied this. It said, no, for a father to run to the son was extremely disgraceful. And on top of that, I need to let you know something. In Jewish culture, when a person takes their father's inheritance and spends it, in fact, a little bit later, the older brother says, your younger son has squandered your wealth, your inheritance your, um, on prostitutes. What he was basically saying is, your son has disgraced you. We need to understand that. Because in Jewish custom, a son's disgraceful actions falls on the father. This son would have been known in his village as the son that heaps disgrace on his father. It puts something in perspective for me that my actions are not just about me, it's about God. My creator and my father. That there are times that I do things and I'm like, yeah, you know, I've stuffed up. Well, I've stuffed up, but I've also disgraced God. I've heaped disgrace. So this young man's actions of heaping disgrace on God and then coming to him and father continuing to disgrace himself in order to show grace. Do we understand that kind of love? Do, do we understand that kind of love? The moment they met, he said his little speech, Father didn't care, puts a rope, ring, sandals. Your identity is recovered. I want to make a small point here. This is not a main point. But this man had been feeding the pigs. He had been in poverty. He had had nothing left. The rope and all of that covered it up. God always wants to cover your shame. But at the same time, you still need to deal with that filth that is underneath the grace. He still needed to go for a bath. He still needed a wash because he wasn't that nice smelling anymore. The grace can cover up your shame, but there's still stuff that needs to be dealt with. Anyway, just continuing on. Father does all of his stuff, brings him in. Now, here's another amazing picture of God's grace. He throws a party and kills a fattened calf. We don't kill calves anymore, and so we don't know how much they feed. So I searched this up. A fattened calf feeds the whole flipping village. So what dad was doing, think about this. Son was living, spending money in a way that was disgraceful for dad in the place of where dad lived. 
that, that village over there sees this and does this to dad. Because that guy is the one that the disgrace falls on. This son comes back into this place. And what does dad do? He gets all of these people who have been looking at him and going, you've got disgrace all over you. He says, I'm throwing a party. I bring all of you here to honor my son. Some of us don't understand the depths of what God has done to bring us back home. Some of us don't understand the depths that God had to travel in order for us to receive our identity and our worth once again. Some of us don't understand that there's a party that goes on amongst people that don't like God (laughs) in that kind of a way because God just loves us so much that He accepts us into family. And that's a great picture of God's grace. So what has faith got to do with any of this? As I was thinking about this, we have been given grace. And so we've been saved by grace through faith. I've been talking about the grace element, which is completely dependent on God's character. But what, what is faith? See, as I was thinking about this, I started to realize that there was something going on. Son wanted independence from God, from his father, goes to a faraway land that father doesn't rule. And that's when the grace starts to run out. Why? Because his faith is no longer activated. Because we receive grace by faith, right? I started to understand something about faith. The enemy of faith isn't doubt. Some of you have struggled with doubt, and because of that, you've wondered whether you have faith. No, no, no. Doubt's not the enemy of faith. Independence is the enemy of faith. When we separate ourselves from God, our faith is being chopped off. Independence is the enemy of faith. When I'm trying to find myself by myself, for myself, faith is shut off. Grace is shut off. So when this son begins to realize that dad has what I need to survive tomorrow, even without a fully repentant heart, remember it's not about the repentant heart, but it's about this sense of, I can no longer make it by my own. I actually need what God has. And even that little action was enough to restore the flow of grace into the person's life. Do you want to know what faith is? Faith is, I cannot make it on my own and I need God. I need what is in God's house. I need what God is able to give to me. That is what faith is. So don't you say that I prayed for 15 hours and that is faith. No, 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 that could be something else. But is that heart, is that place of recognizing that God is what I need. So why is faith hard sometimes? Faith is hard because we have been somehow wired to believe that control is everything. We've been wired to believe that when I'm in this place, I actually am in control of what is taking place and I'm building my empire, I'm building my identity and this is how it's going to work. So why did he end up in a place where he not only squandered his grace, but he ended up in a place of famine? It's because he was being, it's actually God's grace to show him that he cannot make it by himself. Some of us are in a place of famine because God doesn't hate, it's not because God hates you, it's because you need to learn how you don't make the weather patterns work. That you don't make seed time and harvest time. 
that you don't make things grow. You don't do any of that. It's always by God's grace, by His unmerited and undeserved favor. And when we start to realize, I don't have this, I don't have any of this control, God's house looks better. I'm going to turn my attention to it. The flow of grace comes back. Where does repentance start? The Bible tells us that it's God's kindness that is meant to lead us to repentance. It is not our repentance that leads us to God's kindness. It's God's kindness that leads us. It's God's kindness. It's His grace. It's the way that He relates to us that brings about a repentance. So when we come back and He restores our identity on us, that is the point of going, this is where I'm meant to be. Some of us are still broken, poor, uh, empty on the inside because you're still trying to repent before you get God's grace. You're still trying to sort yourself out in famine town when God's saying, I've got plenty and I'm always ready to receive you. Why doesn't dad come to this place, by the way? Here's another little thought. Why doesn't dad come to famine town to rescue son? It's because son needs to make up his mind for himself. Because if dad comes here, brings him back, gives him grace, he's going to take that again and go, I'm going to try to make it work again. I'm going to try to make it, dad brings him back and he's going to receive the grace and then he's going to go back here. And No, 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 dad actually needs son to realize he's got no control over here. This is no way that he's going to survive in this place. Some of you have been doing the back and forth for ages because you still think that there's something there for you. There is nothing. It's a wasteland. There is nothing there for you. That alcohol is not going to soothe your soul. That relationship is not going to fill up that empty space inside of your heart. That job is not going to make you feel any better about yourself. Only God can deal with those things. It's by God's grace that He realizes He has to wait for you to come home. The more I journey in being a father, the more I realize how much I want to rescue people. I want to get in there because I know that that place is going to hurt them. But part of my journey as a dad is to go, I've got to wait sometimes because person's going to have to learn. That person's going to have to learn that that wasteland is actually a wasteland. They're not going to turn it into anything nice. doesn't matter how much you polish that. It's still a piece of crap. I didn't know if I wanted to say that. But I hope that you understand what I'm trying to say. But do you know that it was another lost son? We hear this parable and we hear the parable of the lost son. When maybe more accurately it should be called the parable of the lost sons. Because there was another son that was there. Read about him at the end. And he comes, he hears the party going on and he's upset, disappointed. And he says to dad, that guy disgraced you, and yet you still grace him. But you've never given me anything. And here's the dad's line. He says, son, all I have is yours. And when I read it this week, something really popped out to me. See, there were only two sons in the story. One son already got his inheritance. So everything that was left is older sons. It's older sons. When dad said, all I have is yours, he literally meant it. This is yours. There are some Christians 
that are living in Father's house but haven't accessed grace because you're still trying to earn it. You haven't activated faith because faith requires you to realize that you're not in control. Faith requires you to recognize that your efforts do not lead to salvation, that your efforts don't lead to more of God's love, that your efforts don't lead to anything more. God has already given. But do you dare to say, while you're living in God's house, I still need God. We can get the band up this morning. I don't know if you identify with the first son or the second son. But I believe that this morning God wants to grace. God has never been wanting to withhold. But it depends and he waits for you to realize I need this is probably one of the most significant turning points in my life. About just over a decade ago when I made this realization that I can't make Famine Town a fruitful place. Every now and then I still visit the place and I try a few things try to see whether I'm capable of doing anything and um, I'm not. That place is always a wasteland, always will be a wasteland. Now I've, I've, I've made a decision that I need to stay in Father's house, but not only just stay in Father's house, I need to learn how to say to Father, I need you. I need you. There's some people in this room that struggles desperately with that. And that's why this morning, you need to make a choice to come to God. Before we go any further, we are going to be doing communion together. So host team, if I can get you to come and distribute emblems. Before I ask for your response, before I ask you to do anything this morning, First, hear what God has done. Because some of you are still waiting in famine land and asking where God is. Give them out, host. Thank you so much. See, why we do communion is because we remember that God has already given. He has given His life so that you are not chained up to your past. You are not chained up to what has happened. You are not chained up to the things that you have previously done. Your past and even the things that you continue to do, maybe even tomorrow or next week, the sins that you continue to, uh, to commit, I guess, 
The Bible tells us that God's grace is sufficient so that there are no chains left in this place for you to be chained in a place of destitution, in a place where there is nothing left for you. No, no, when Jesus died on the cross, the payment that He made on it was sufficient for you so that you don't have to be here so you can run back to Father's house so that when you're just on the outskirts, you haven't even been fully repentant. There's still things that you're dealing with. You're still wearing your grave clothes. You're still wearing wearing that filthy poverty rags that, that you have been carrying with you, but God still accepts you for who you are. That is what Jesus did on the cross so that we don't have to live in independence of God, but we are released to live a life of grace, a life of abundance with Him, where His grace doesn't run out. You know, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians, it says, my grace is sufficient for you and my power made perfect in weakness. So what does Paul say when he heard Jesus say that? He says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Yes, communion is a tough thing for us to do. Don't just swig it down and move on because it's saying I need God. It's saying I couldn't save myself. It's saying I never had what it takes. I am weak. I am poor. I have nothing to offer you. But still you love me and still you would die on the cross for me. And His power rests upon me in that moment so that all of that has been covered. I don't stand in front of you as someone who has made it. I stand in front of you as a person who is journeying back to Dad's house where dad has met me while I'm still dealing with my gear, while I'm still wearing my rags of poverty and still having some inclination to go back to famine town. But his grace is sufficient. So as you take that cracker, which symbolizes God's body, which is broken for you, and as you take that cup, which symbolizes his blood that was poured out for you, that was God's step towards you. I love that the Bible tells us that when we draw close to God, God draws close to us. It's not because He's waiting for us, but He's already made His move. And now He's leaving it in your hands. Are you going to make yours? So think about this. Don't rush through it. Do you dare to make that confession that you need God, when you're ready, have communion this morning. Can we stand together? I'm going to ask you to do something brave. Because I think sometimes we take this a little bit easy. Sometimes we don't really go very far with this. But as a church this morning, I believe that we need to respond. I believe that there are people here that need to respond. See, remember what I've just said. Faith is saying, I am not enough. I am weak. I need God. That is a place of vulnerability. That is a place of being uncovered. There's a place that no one likes to be in. And that's exactly why I'm going to ask you to be brave and to step forward this morning. We call this place an altar call 
And it's a bit of an old term that we use to use a lot. An altar is a place of sacrifice. And what we're asking you to do is to step forward onto a place of sacrifice. What are you sacrificing? You're sacrificing the need to control. You're sacrificing the need to be the one that is doing everything. You're sacrificing that identity of being self-sufficient. You're sacrificing your independence. I'm not saying that God doesn't. Remember I said that God entrusts you. And He allows you to continue to keep your will. But what we're looking for, what He's looking for are people who are committed to living under His will. And so this morning, if you're in a place that you've been searching you're in a place where you are dry. You're in a place where you are, you, you've got doubts and, and you're struggling through life and, and you're wondering where God's grace is. God's grace is sufficient for you. But are you willing to take that step to say, I don't have what it takes by myself? If that is you this morning, I ask you to be brave, to come forward, step foot onto this altar. We would love to stand with you and pray with you. And I believe that God's grace is going to overflow in this place. The band's going to lead us in this song. I'm going to say a prayer that closes our experience. Head to the foyer of your good. We'll see you there in a moment. But we'll be waiting at the altar for you. Dear God, I thank you that your grace is sufficient for us. and that Your power is made perfect in our weakness. That you're not here to expose us. That you're not here to oppresses but you're here simply to love us and I recognize my need for you I recognize that I don't have what it takes in and of myself and so God I thank you that your grace overflows and I want to take steps this week to come closer to you thank you God I pray this in your name amen amen that's the end of our experience but hey I really feel like God wants to do something here so you would step forward, if you would be brave, if you would take steps towards true freedom and true grace, we'll be here to meet you at this place. Thanks so much, church. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.